degrees. Relative humidity is 64%. And that's the news with Rock THK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Kittings. My co-presenter this morning is Paul Zimmerman. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Danny, on this uh, happy Orphan Day. <laughs> in our main topic today, we're talking about the changing landscape in Hong Kong's media industry. TVB's just announced it will lay off more than 300 people as part of a restructuring plan that will merge two free-to-air channels to create one that's more focused on a younger audience. Hong Kong's dominant broadcaster said while it would continue investing in primetime production, It'll cut budgets for fringe hour content and axe non-performing programs. It expects to save a further $100 million in Hong Kong in content costs by 2024, having announced $260 million in annual cost savings earlier this year. So what does this streamlining say about the media industry? Is it a Hong Kong issue or a global one? Can, what can broadcasters do to survive? After 9.45, we're going to find out about a new study on the mental health of children and adolescents. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on, on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233 uh, Our guests in the uh, first segment of the show this morning, we have uh, Dr. Florin Saban, who is a lecturer in communications at uh, Hong Kong Baptist University. And we have Marcel Fenez, who's uh, president of Fenez Media Limited. Um, good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. Uh, Dr. Saban, let, let's, let's go to you first. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Saban, what do you make of these uh, TVB layoffs? Good morning. Well, uh, definitely it's uh, unfortunate, right, because we are having... Uh uh, more than 200 people uh, uh, losing their job in the uh, television division. But at the same time, uh, honestly, I don't think it's a surprising development because globally we have seen uh, these trends for a while now. I think 2023 is one of the worst years for uh, people who work in uh, media companies. Uh, we have, you know, even if you think about uh, some uh, Internet uh, darlings from uh, a decade ago, BuzzFeed and Vice, they are also going to um, uh, to uh, major issues, right? Vice has filed for uh, bankruptcy protection, and BuzzFeed uh, shut down its uh, news media division. It laid uh, out um, about 15% of its staff, right? So uh, it is a global phenomenon. We are always seeing news uh, from media and tech companies. I think it's getting quite difficult to separate media and tech companies today. So we can put them together. And that's definitely a global uh, issue. It's a global trend. I guess the difference is here is that uh, TVB used to be so dominant and so profitable in Hong Kong. I mean, when you thought about uh, sort of television in Hong Kong, television was TVB. Right? Yes, yeah, certainly. And uh, if we are looking at J2 in particular, uh, I think when it was launched in uh, 15 years ago or so, it was launched as um, a channel uh, targeting uh, the youth audience, right? And now we are seeing the developments, and they want to uh, to put forward the new channel, also targeting the the uh, youth. And I think one of the main issues, without having the internal data, right, without knowing exactly uh, uh, what audience uh, they uh, they get there, I believe one of the main issues is uh, uh, the difficulty in attracting young people to watch television to stream television if you want because they can uh, have it on air but they can also have it on their computers and i think the numbers are quite uh, low on that end so probably that's uh, that's where the issue comes and yeah even if you are tvb and you are uh, 
uh, you used to be the the, the, the channel, right? And um, yeah, I think it's still problematic. It doesn't shelter you from uh, from other problems. So, so TVB has been diversifying its business. If you look at the annual report of them uh, last year, uh, they built building business in the e-commerce, uh, and they got revenues from their China operations. Uh, they make good uh, money on their China operations. Um, uh, their uh, the e-commerce business is kind of almost flatlining in terms of profit, but is growing very fast, three hundred percent. I mean, what are the strategies? for TV companies you know, to go forward and, and to convert or transfer, uh, change their business models around? Yeah, certainly. I, I think if we are looking at uh, the more successful media and tech companies, they definitely need to have a more diversified portfolio. Uh, probably the, the largest success story right now uh, would be the New York Times, right? And if you think about the New York Times, it's not just a newspaper. It has a diversified portfolio as well. Uh, basically, uh, they have podcasts, right? They, can, they also have cooking uh, apps. And don't forget, they also bought something like uh, Wordle, right, for a seven-digit uh, figure a while ago. So definitely you need to diversify and you need to have more than just uh, original content uh, uh, to offer to your audience. The problem is, in my opinion, uh, that even for the e-commerce part, uh, the competition is fierce, right? You are having a lot of uh, uh, competitors and it's not easy to make your way through to this uh, new environment and also maybe we can talk about this later uh, you open up the door to algorithms and uh, uh, it's that constant pressure of always attracting your audience of always being uh, present in their life what is the competitive advantage that tvb has when it uh, looks for you know converting itself to another business model is there well, anything in their assets that, uh, that 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 has real value as you mentioned before, I think the, the biggest asset is uh, its brand value, right? Uh, everyone knows about TVB. Uh, TVB is a landmark uh, for Hong Kongers. And I think that's uh, the easiest way to, to uh, really push forward. At the same time, I wonder whether uh, uh, there is a strong enough connection between its TVB brand as the television and other services. Because at first sight, the e-commerce and the, uh, uh, the rest of the portfolio might might seem to be a bit uh, remote from what uh, uh, what happens with its uh, traditional uh, media operation. Okay, but they can look at that this brand, the other brand, HKTV, or uh, what is it? The, uh, the well, HKTV, yes, but HKTV is is not uh, does not do TV. It, it just I know, but it's called HKTV. Well, it's because it, it did originally, yeah. um, isn't that? Uh, 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 Doctor Savan, isn't that something that uh, HKTV, uh, which started as a TV company and became an online shopping company, is, is now worth substantially more than TVB, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it has a TV and the mall uh, name, right? So two in one, but at the same time, everything happens online. So it becomes the, the, the mall of our uh, uh, online uh, days. Definitely, I don't think it's, it's, it's only about this. You also have the possibility of ordering from abroad, right? Not only that you can order things from the Hong Kong e-commerce market, but uh, you have the whole global market at your uh, doorstep today. So I think, yeah, it, it is... You know, going back to what I said earlier, it is getting more and more uh, difficult. There. Okay, we're discussing the uh, state of the uh, media landscape in Hong Kong on the back of uh, TVB's announcement that it will lay off more than 300 people as part of a restructuring plan. Uh, if you do have any thoughts, uh, email us at backchat on rthk or you can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and comment there. Uh, let's bring in the second of our guests, uh, Marcel Fenez, uh, president of Fenez uh, Media uh, Limited. Uh, Mr. Fenez, good morning. Welcome to Backchat. 
Uh, what, what do you think of this move by TVB? Are they moving in the right direction? Are they going too slow or too fast? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, first of all, let me just say I completely agree with the comments of the, the, the previous commentator. You know, we can't... Hong Kong media scene doesn't operate in isolation from, from huge media trends globally. So I think the sort of the layoffs that we've seen, not a big surprise. Uh, I actually think that if we look back over the last few years, I mean, this isn't the first time TVB has cut, by the way. But I think if we look back, you talked about the dominant position. The problem with dominance is that sometimes that, that you know, I wouldn't say that you sort of rest on your laurels, but I think to some degree TUD has been, um, and previous management has possibly been slow to react to global challenges and to global trends. So I think what we're seeing now, to me, is no big surprise. Uh, actually, there is not a, media, a good media company on the planet that doesn't change and doesn't change rapidly. So the fact that, you know, the more change, the more uh, the more that that reflects that the media company is actually in touch with what's happening. So, so change to me isn't a big issue. I think what uh, obviously we need to be focusing on is what are the areas that they're looking at. Any media company, first of all, needs to understand its audience. And TVB, better than anyone else, uh, has that tradition of connectivity with the Hong Kong audience. But that Hong Kong audience is changing in terms of what they like. Uh, the demographic is changing. The sort of the traditional heartland of the TVB consumer, sadly, is getting older, and, and there's probably less of them over a period of time. So, therefore, TVB needs to be more relevant and engage with that younger demographic. And, and to be fair, that's exactly what they're saying they're doing. So, uh, yeah, I think not surprising, um, perhaps a little bit late. Hmm. The Hong Kong uh, media scene is quite interesting. Uh, the only time that I now see TVB is when I'm, I'm, I'm having, an, uh, having a, a, a bowl of soup in a, in a, in a, in a small restaurant uh, somewhere and the TV screen is always on and then I can see that TVB is still alive. So, But at home, yeah. uh, you don't watch TVB, uh, or at least I've stopped watching it. Or I, I, you know, I get my channels otherwise, like probably everybody else, on my phone or from my computer. So, so what, is, have they not recognized that early enough? Well, look, I think, you know, to some degree uh, it was recognized. Um, but I think that, you know, we also need to look back that, that TVB has now been uh, having losses for about five years. That happens to coincide when it started to lose significant ad dollars round about the time of uh, the protest. And we have, to be, we have to acknowledge that at that point in time, TVB wasn't the preferred media for advertisers, and we don't need to go into the reasons for that. But obviously, in, in advertising dollars have uh, returned, but not in the same volume as before. And quite frankly, there is a huge amount of competition for our dollars. So, so while we talk about audiences, ultimately we have to talk about who pays, and that leads us into business models. Advertising is still uh, is still hugely important uh, to TVB, but there are there is significant competition from other mediums. Mm. And the, the key to me is about relevance and engagement. So the more relevant and the, the closer uh, the content production is in terms of what people want and in the way that they want to consume it, then you have the beginning of a successful business. But there's a lot more to it than that. But, but uh, uh, as I say, I think, um, you know, what they're doing now is consistent with what we see happening in other parts of the world, I think is inevitable. Uh, and if they get this right, then, uh, you know, they'll still have a successful uh, business model going forward. Mm. Um, but I do think that every media brand needs to refresh TVB has a huge and very, very important media brand, and it constantly needs to refresh and reinvigorate. 
Uh, and that means, you know, the types of shows that it produces. Uh, I think it's very good that we've seen sort of shows like um, uh, Stars Academy and uh, Asian Super Young and these types of programs that are really trying to address that younger demographic. And we need to see more of that, more experimentation, uh, more incubation of good ideas. And I think then uh, TVB will have a, a strong future. Are they using different uh, uh, delivery channels like the, uh, the the mobile phone and the, the computer and the uh, are they on everybody's screen that beyond TV? Yeah, I mean, you know, the great thing is, I mean, this is a great time for media. People say, oh, it's about oh, yeah, this and that about media. But it's a great time for media because we're consuming more of it, right? We're consuming more of it in more different places on more different devices. So if you're a content producer, that sounds pretty cool. Now, the, the key thing is making sure we're producing the right content and you're getting it to the right distributors on the right platforms at the right time. Um, and and um, so I, I think in that respect, you know, the more the merrier. Mm. Okay, uh, let's bring in some comments from listeners, um, and you can join. You can join and make your own comments on uh, backchat at rthk.rthk. That's our email address, or go to our Facebook page, uh, backchat on rthk radio free. And on our Facebook page, uh, uh, Mike says, "Yes, media is in survival mode. Maybe you should ask your collective selves who watches TV anymore, or for that matter, listens to radio except for background noise." I'm a slow reader and can't keep up with the flashing captions and missed keywords in the mumbled verbiage of the often too attractive presenters on TVB. It seems their bosses have an eye for looks more than for articulation. We haven't even begun the discussion into the trust issues. That trust has been lost for a number of unspeakable topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a long email coming in from Ilnor discussing uh, uh, TVB programming, perhaps in some detail. Ilnor says, um, traditional broadcasters like TVB indeed face the challenge of shifting TV viewing habits into today's digital age. The rise of new technologies and evolving platforms has led to a decline in traditional TV viewership. Younger audiences in particular are increasingly consuming content through online streaming services and social media platforms. Furthermore, the demands of modern life, including longer working hours, make it difficult for many individuals, especially from the younger generations, to find time to relax and tune into traditional TV broadcasts. Convenience and flexibility offered by digital platforms allows people to access content and their own convenience fitting into their busy schedules. This trend is not unique to Hong Kong. It's a global phenomenon. Traditional broadcasters worldwide are grappling with declining viewership and advertising revenues as audiences shift towards digital platforms. Competition for audience attention has intensified, prompting broadcasters to reconsider their business models and explore new strategies for survival. In terms of content quality, it's crucial for broadcasters to carefully consider what they offer. While I personally enjoy news and current affairs programmes like Straight Talk and Pearl Magazine on TVB Pearl, the lack of noteworthy locally produced content raises concerns. With the availability of global digital platforms, viewers have more options to access high-quality content from around the world. The competition is fierce, and broadcasters need to ensure their offerings stand out and appeal to their target audience. Decline of quality English-language programme offerings is indeed a cause for concern, especially for Hong Kong as Asia's world city. As the city strives to maintain its international stature, having compelling and locally produced English-language programming becomes increasingly important. It not only provides a platform for local talent and perspective to shine, but it also shows the city's cultural diversity and global connectivity. In summary, 
Traditional broadcasters like TVB must acknowledge the shifting TV viewing habits and challenges posed by new technologies involving platforms. To remain relevant, they need to adapt their strategies, focus on quality content production, explore innovative ways to engage and attract audiences. By doing so, they can better serve the changing needs and preferences of viewers in today's digital landscape while preserving the cultural identity and significance of Hong Kong as a global city. Thank you very much. You all know a lot there. Let me just put some of those thoughts uh, back to uh, mm. Dr. F- uh, Florence Saban, uh, particularly sort of the role of the Hong Kong. I think uh, our listeners are talking about the role of the Hong Kong media beyond Hong Kong, Dr. Saban. Yeah, and that's, that's definitely uh, something very important. Uh, if we are looking, for example, at the numbers, on the surface, there's not a lot of change. In Hong Kong, we spend about, on average, six hours and a half online, and we spend about two hours and 45 minutes streaming and watching uh, um, uh, uh, TV content, right? But then again, that TV content doesn't come to our uh, traditional TV screen uh, via um, uh, airwaves. It comes uh, online, right? And then the users will have quite a lot of choice. The question is, why should I, you know, from the two hours and 45 minutes, why should I spend time watching a particular local program when, you know, I can stream something from Netflix or Amazon or Disney or you name it? I think that's where it becomes quite difficult and challenging for uh, for local content creators. But I agree with uh, with um, the listener who sent you the, the email, but at the same time, let's not forget, quality is expensive. You need to have a leap of faith to say, okay, although the numbers are not looking great right now, we are going to spend more, we are going to have higher quality programs, and we hope that the audience will come back. I think that's quite difficult because even if you are creating content for the online world, right, if you are creating content for your app, my uh, TV Super app, right, in the case of TVB, what makes you think that the users, especially the young users, will choose to go and uh, uh, watch content on your app instead of streaming something from other global platforms? I think that's where the, the, the difficult part is. And if you are having... Sorry, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I wanted to interrupt. You, you have, they, they have a unique uh, advantage. They're in Hong Kong and they're, can, they're Cantonese and there is a massive Cantonese audience all around the world. And they, uh, there is, must be a platform and an opportunity there if they focus on content, isn't it? But I agree, but then you really need to go and reach out to those people because, you know, even if you create great content in Hong Kong, the idea that uh, a diaspora will come and uh, watch your content it's quite difficult to implement because you really need to target them. You really need to put an effort and to attract those people. And if you are a Hong Konger living in Vancouver, for example, you know, probably you are quite socialized in your everyday life there. So it's, it, you need to put effort to take that person from Vancouver, from Los Angeles, from you name it, to come and say, okay, now we are going to watch a, a Hong Kong created program. It's expensive to do that because you really need to go deeper in your pockets for, for the marketing game. Uh, so I think that's where the catch-22 is. What do you prioritize? Do you want to save money first, or do you really make an effort? You spend now, and then you hope that uh, you will get that audience back in the future. Yeah, but so they, have, they appear to have made that choice. They're cutting 300 staff. Uh, that, that must close into a, the... Closing a channel, and closing a channel that was... Um, or in it was targeted at the youth, really. So, so, they, so they're losing programming capabilities, so you're basically cutting off your arms. 
Exactly. And unfortunately, I think we have seen this trend for the past two decades everywhere in the world and in all kinds of media, right? Even if you talk about uh, newspapers that went online and when they went online, they started to fire the senior journalists, right? Because the senior journalists didn't want to go on Twitter and uh, create content there. So that was always the problem. How do you really adapt? How do you really reach out to a newer audience without losing your core, without losing yourself? Who, what made you to be, right? We talked about uh, TVB being the television in the world. Uh, Marcel Fenez? Yeah, can I just jump in on a couple of things there? First thing, I think, you know, we, we need to differentiate the role from a content producer or a studio from a, uh, from a broadcaster. If we think about the role that TVB has as a content producer, then it is also competing not... When, when we look at overseas markets, or what we should be thinking about is Hong Kong as a production hub, right? So just in the same way that Korean content has made a huge mark on Asian viewers and beyond, we're now seeing Thai content, you know, very prevalent. So we need to realize that, that it's not just about Cantonese diaspora, uh, which, which in fact is becoming less of a diaspora and more Mandarin-speaking in any event. The issue is how does Hong Kong, led by TVB, really take on some of the other Asian production hubs like Korea, like Thailand now, and to produce content that is relevant for an Asian market. Actually, you know, some people may not like dubbing or, or, or subtitling, but actually, you know, the success of Netflix with, with, their, with what they've been doing in terms of foreign language content, that's just not the case. People, consumers are happy to accept that. What they're interested in is good content, well-produced content, uh, and, and, and really, TVB needs to be looking at how it competes with those major production hubs. Okay. Uh, the other thing that, yeah. that, you know, one of the, I think one of the comments that you may call, people consume content in different ways. That means it's not necessarily about a 45 minute show or, you know, it's about shorter form content. Well, shorter form content has been getting better and better. The days of getting excited by a cat video are well past us, right? The quality mm -hmm. of, uh, short-form content is increasing uh, day by day, and that is something also that TVB needs to be looking at. It how does it engage not just around long-form but around short-form as well? So, production of cool content that is applicable and relevant to an Asian audience in a way that they want to consume, be that long-form okay. or short-form. Let's go back to Dr. Savan, who has to, to go in a few minutes. Um, how about that, that issue that's raised just now of Hong Kong as a production um, hub for Asia? I mean, it used to be people in Korea watched Hong Kong-produced content. Mm. Now it's the other way around. We watch Korean-produced uh, content. Has, has Hong Kong lost its way there, Dr. Savan? Certainly. I mean, after Hollywood, uh, Hong Kong was uh, the largest exporter, right, of, uh, of films around the world, not, even, uh, not only regional. Uh, definitely there is something to do there. There is a market and there is an opportunity to, to um, uh, take over. And I think we also have the capacity, if you're thinking about our uh, Academy of Films over Hong Kong, our studios, right, the infrastructure is there. So what we need to do is to have that leap of faith and to say, okay, let's start to think more regional and why not later more global. I totally agree with uh, Mr. Finn's comment. Think about Squid Game, right? It's a Korean show. It was broadcasted by Netflix. It had subtitles, but it was a global phenomenon. And even though you can say, well, it was a one-hit wonder, you need one-hit wonder sometimes in order to survive in this environment, right? So I think that can be a great starting point. But what I would like to see more is a strategy in that sense coming and saying, okay, this is how we want to develop. We want to think bigger than just the Hong Kong market. Uh, we want to go forward. 
if the uh, producers from uh, TVB can do that, then I think that can be a great strategy in the future. Does TVB have the team and the energy and the, the kind of the, the wherewithal to, to succeed in that way? Certainly. I'm sure they have the know-how, right? I mean, the knowledge is there. Well, you need to put that know-how to work and you need to have that, uh, that faith in your team that, you know, we can get something out of it and we can uh, be relevant uh, uh, in the region or, not, or even around the world at the end of the day. It's a bit difficult when you're cutting staff, though, isn't it? I mean, presumably they'll be pretty thin on the ground after this latest round of job cuts. Yeah, well, uh, I, don't know, I don't know what uh, they will put in place, right? Because if you just cut staff, Again, I go back to our previous point. If you continue to cut stuff, it's very difficult to believe the quality in content will go, will go up. Mm. We, we haven't seen this in any other industries before, so it's difficult to see it in this particular case now. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, so just, just, just very briefly, uh, Marcel Fenez, we've got about 30 seconds before the news. Yes, I think, look, you don't have to own staff. You have to be able to reach out to talent. So the ability of TVB to engage with the broader ecosystem to get the talent that it needs, it doesn't need to be on their books. Mm. You can okay. do it in different ways. So I'm not as, I'm not as worried about that. Okay. Well, Smarter with fewer. We'll, we'll continue that discussion after the news. Uh, we, we have to say goodbye uh, to uh, Dr. Fl- Florence Van, uh, who is a lecturer in communica- School of Communications at Hong Kong Baptist University. Uh, but uh, Marcel Fenez will be staying with us and will be also be joined by more guests after news. We'll continue the discussion about the state of Hong Kong's media industry. Uh, later on, we're also going to be hearing about a new survey on the mental health of children and adolescents in Hong Kong. Uh, the weather forecast is going to be mainly cloudy, warm with uh, sunny periods during the day. Temperature's going to rise to 27 degrees later. Currently, it's 25 degrees, ready for humidity, 63%. It's 9.30. Here's Hayley with the news. Creta's Medical Center has launched an investigation following the death of a 79-year-old patient who did not receive oxygen while being transferred between wards on Tuesday. The man had undergone ulcer and hernia surgery and was scheduled for an eye operation. The police have arrested two women on suspicion of practicing medicine without a license, the possession of antibiotics, and using fake documents. The arrest came after they raided an unlicensed beauty clinic in Mong Kok that had been operating for at least two years. And more than a dozen hostages held by Hamas have arrived in Israel after being handed over to the Red Cross. Their release was delayed by what Hamas called logistical issues. Two Russian-Israeli women were freed earlier. In exchange, 30 Palestinian women and children were freed from Israeli prisons. I'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. People who are patriotic and have an affection for Hong Kong and who are capable and aspire to serve can make our community better. The 2023 District Council Ordinary Election is on December 10th. Remember to bring your identity card and vote for your preferred candidate. Let's build a nice and harmonious community together. Cast your vote at DC Election for a better community. Every vote carries a wish for our city and our vision for our life. Over the years, a clean election culture has been our common belief. Going forward together, we will continue in our faith to build a brighter future. Abide by the rules. Support clean elections. Report Corruption Hotline 25266366. Hong Kong. Our advantage is you and the ICAC. 
Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Kittings and my co-presenter this morning is Paul Zimmerman. In the second half of the show, we're initially going to be continuing our discussion about the uh, state of Hong Kong's media landscape on the back of TVB's announcement uh, that it's going to lay off more than 300 people as part of a restructuring uh, plan that will merge uh, two existing channels. Uh, later on, we're also going to hear about a, a new mental health survey on children and adolescents in uh, Hong Kong with some rather alarming findings. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on either topic, do uh, email us at backchatterrthk.hk. Or you can leave a message on our, on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Our guests, as we uh, continue the discussion, are uh, still with us. Uh, Mar- Marcel Fernez, who's president of Fernez Media Limited. And we're also now joined by a regular Backchat guest, uh, Vera Yoon. Vera Yoon is assistant lecturer at the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, good morning, um, uh, Ms. Yoon. Welcome back to Backchat. Good morning. So what do, you, uh, what do you make of TVB's move this week? Um, I will say... Well, in the short run, it's because um, the business is not that good. Because even after reopening, there's not much business. And then those businesses cannot afford to, you know, buy advertisement from it. And, you know, there's a need to really to cut down course. But I think it's a long run thing. Like, we, we already know, like, 15 years ago, like, the traditional media model, including newspaper radio and also television they would not be viable in the future it just um it would be uh replaced or a large market share would be divided by many internet competitors so it 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 is foreseeable but it's just when it would happen do you think tvp was too slow to react um TVB has done a lot to diversify their uh, revenue. Um, they have tried to do something like online shopping stores uh, to increase their revenue and then to also extend their um, market in the mainland China. So if we look at their uh, revenue source, only 36% come from like local Hong Kong television. And in fact, um, about one-fourth come from e-commerce, and then about 20% come from the mainland China. So, I mean, they have, they, they knew it, and it's just like other newspapers, other radios, they like, they already know it. It's, you know, inevitable, and they try to diversify. But it's just for um, TVB, their overhead uh, is it, too high. Like, it, they're, they're too bulky, so it's pretty hard for them to react quickly and it's not that easy to run on you know other business too okay and let me bring a couple of comments uh, from listeners and seem to be former tv 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 watchers uh jeffrey says i stopped watching when they converted the conversion to digital happened it trained me to stop watching so maybe that is the uh, key point and uh, Beth says, uh, I worked with TVB when it opened up in the 1960s. At that time, it had great shows on the Chinese channel, Enjoy Yourself, EYT, Enjoy Yourself Tonight, and the uh, Star Show, which I worked and danced on. However, it got stuck with the worst soap operas that never got any better. I watch TVB Pearl all the time. Why doesn't the Chinese channel import shows like uh, the English channel? Thank you very much, Beth, for that perspective from a former, former TVB employee. Um, uh, mm-hmm. um, again, we go back to uh, Vera Yoon. Is, um, does Beth have a point? Did TVB lose its way some, somewhere further 
down the line, not just uh, not just about the uh, the shift away from uh, traditional media, but factors more specific to TVB, very you? Um, I would say it's a very bulky, you know, business that they have a lot of overhead, although they have really cut a lot, like, since many years ago. Like, I know that from the reporters, it has been done in their cost of booking uh, a coach um, like many years ago it's like one coach per group now it's like you have to book that coach that this year by many groups and then, you know they have done many many things to cut down on the course but it's just because of the regulation um, of running a media like you have to maintain you know news you have to maintain like many things according to regulation and it's not that easy and I think for TVB, yes, many people criticize it um, for not being able to um, follow the newest trend and all, all these things. You know, they only have, like, older audience nowadays. And I believe all different channels are like that. And, of course, they don't have a very viable business model. I mean, for television, you see how ATV closed and, you know, all, all these things. So... Other channels, like, still, they have to be backed by some tycoon that has money to burn. And for View TV, I think they are just pretty lucky to to open up a new model of fighting, you know, new um, intellectual property. Like, you know, there are many celebrities that come from their shows. And then they derive, uh, you know, income from those areas, too. And I would say it's just, you know, in the 1960s, basically, it's one-way media. People don't get to choose. And it's very easy to make your artist popular and then to just make money from it. But nowadays, there's so many things online. And then if they can just open a YouTube channel and then with so low overhead and they can already divide some of your advertising budget, then it, it, it's actually very, very hard for, you know, traditional companies to you know you know to compete but they have already tried to renew the show try to introduce new ideas you know copy from other areas you know other regions you know what what they're doing but it's i mean this is the overall trend they could do a little bit better but it's just you know would delay the death if they if they continue with the traditional world of running. So, Marcel, this is the issue about regulations and uh, causing a massive mm-hmm. overhead. Uh, is, 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 is this, how strong, how, how important is this? And can get TVB yeah. get away from it? Is, is, is government regulations too much of a, uh, of a heavy load for them? Marcel, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, so there is a regulatory burden on TVB, whether it's to you know, maintain a loss-making English channel, for example. That is an obligation. There are news obligations. So, so your commentator is correct. There are obligations, and, uh, you know, to some degree, I think uh, there needs to be a bit more of a level playing field. And that, that, that's a registry issue, and that's something that uh, needs to be looked at. But I do think that, you know, I feel very strongly that TV is viable. Right? Radio is viable. TV didn't kill the radio star. You know, it... TV is viable. The question is, what does TV look like? If we define TV in the old way of, you know, sitting in a living room with two people around you and watching a, a, a sort of series, yeah, that, that's TV as, as some people think of it. But I think of TV, TV as content 
strong video content that is well produced, delivered in the right way, in a format that people want, then TV can be viable. So I think we need to perhaps, you know, we're using this term television rather broadly, uh, and I think we need to look at it uh, much more specifically as to what it means. It talks about what it means is making money out of content, video content. Uh, And whether you're carrying a lot of overhead, uh, that can obviously affect overall profitability. That needs to be looked at. Regulation needs to be looked at. But I also think the role of TVB as, you know, the anchor of all great production that can happen in Hong Kong. So I think there needs to be more collaboration across the industry and with, with government, to be honest with you, in terms of the regulatory side. So I think we need to see a bit more of a holistic uh, conversation around this and not just focus solely on TVB. Earlier on, we were talking about Netflix and about sort of Squid Games and so on. Why aren't we seeing yeah. sort of Netflix productions like that coming out of, of Hong Kong? Uh, yeah, well, because at the moment, uh, so so uh, there is a because a lot of that talent at the moment actually sits for TVB. So, so of course, degree, they're locked up in the TVB contract because TVB. Yeah. I mean, I suppose any dominant broadcaster would do that, but they they sign these yeah. very restrictive contracts, don't they? Yeah, I mean, so a lot of their stars are, are secured on, on relatively long-term contracts. That's changed to a degree. They, you know, one of the reasons is, got, so Netflix could fund content here, but it needs to be able to do that uh, in a competitive way as well. We've obviously seen a lot of uh, funding coming in from some of the mainland Chinese platforms, which is great because they're funding content production. Uh, but, you know, the I think the role of TVB as a content production studio is what we need to be focusing on and how to maximize revenues uh, from that content. Do you see that in the numbers, that opportunity? I mean, uh, you read this financial report. Yeah, the opportunities opportunities are there. It depends how you define your market as well, Paul. Because, you know, if if we only keep thinking about the Hong Kong domestic advertising market, that's one market. But we then look at the Asian market. We look at revenues from streaming. But to some degree, it all, all depends how you define your market, how do you find your addressable market. I think that's where, if we look at the role of Hong Kong as a content-producing hub that can compete with Korea and Thailand, that's a conversation. And who has to be at the core of that? has to be TVB. Varyun? Yes. um, I mean, in 2022, already, like, 10% of revenue come from streaming. And then TV always has some audience from, you know, Canada and Malaysia. So international operation revenue accounts for 11%. So they already have been doing this. It's just... Um, but yeah, not, I agree but, that but they couldn't not, grow it, huh? I mean, they have not been able to grow that. I mean, you 10%. think of the number of Hong Kong people, the, the the Hong Kong diaspora, as now they refer to it, is much larger than it was a few years ago. So, in theory, the market for Hong Kong programs around the world um, should should be larger than it was a few years ago. Very. And I think they focus on like trying to expand in mainland China, but then the mainland Chinese, you know. TV programs, uh, you know, they they have much more budget, and then there are much more variety, much more competition. Like 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 starting from like I think about 2008. So actually, their customers in you know Guangdong province have been competed away rather than the, you know they they try to get new customers by collaborating with like mainland Chinese. But it, it's really some 
times it's about um, creativity. But I, I agree that it's about the integration, the vertical integration, that they try to produce many things. Only the artists have the contract so that they can derive um, revenue from the artists as well. And then unlike the other countries, it's like the production is separated. As a television channel, we just buy from you know, different producers, we try to see which shows are good and then we put it on our television and they don't produce that many shows. And then nowadays TVB has um, purchased some, you know, outside programs also. But then their own model of like having their own artists and then, you know, producing their own programs is is now not that, uh, it doesn't give you as much return because the cost is still very high, but the advertising budget has been going to other sources like, you know, some influencers online. So that model doesn't work that well. And because now you cannot brainwash us, you know, your artists are the only celebrities in Hong Kong because now we can have so many uh, entertainment, unlike in the 90s, 90s, 1980s, that, you know, we don't have a choice. So basically, what you give us, it would be the, you know, thing in the tank. So you will get a lot of advertising such as. No, so, so, I mean, mm-hmm. if, if, I mean, if they want to expand in streaming, other things, they already do it. They charge you if you want to watch the old shows, you know, etc. They already done all these things. It's just, it's still not viable. Mm. I have another question for myself. I, I just as, as this program goes on, I just realized when I stopped watching TVB on my TV, and that is one is when I was not able to receive it anymore. And well, uh, actually, uh, via my had, antenna, uh, yeah, we had uh, a listener earlier on saying that uh, one of the emails saying exactly the same thing. Yes, but I lost it. It couldn't receive it on my antenna anymore, and then I had to re-rig my TV, and then I ended up watching Netflix because then suddenly I was on the internet. So yeah, I was forced by the Hong Kong government basically to go and and expand my view my my access to other programs and that really stopped me watching TVB. Is, it, is this is this measurable? I mean, is it? I, have you seen numbers that kind of correlate? So look, digital. I'm probably going to disagree. Okay, digital is a great thing because it allows us to watch more things more easily. So the fact that that means more competition, you know, so be it. What 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 it comes down to is what do you want to watch and why do you want to watch it? So. What what TVB and others need to do is to constantly try to understand those those demands and to cater to those demands. So, uh, actually, uh, in terms of you know, uh, for example, for me, when when they started mandatory dubbing of of, Canton, of TVB programming, I actually watched more because I could understand it. Mm-hmm. And so, and you know, I would watch a TVB show just as much as I would watch a Korean show. It would depend on the storyline, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I think look. Having access to more content is good, uh, and it's more choice, and so you know, so be it. People have to survive, and that then has a sharp focus pull on the quality and the relevance to you. So I would argue that possibly the reason why you stop watching is because something else was more relevant to you, and that is the challenge that all content producers, whether we're important TV or whatever, have to cater to. They have to cater to the changing needs uh, of that consumer base. Um, but also to relook at where that consumer base is, because if we just define the market as 7 million people, it's a small market. Mm. So the first thing you do is you need to look at how do you address a larger market with your with your product or with your service, and in this case it's content, and that can be done. The Koreans have done it, the Thais are doing it. You know, there's no reason why uh, Hong Kong can't do that. 
uh, led by PVB. OK, we're almost out of time, but let's just go to uh, Vera Yoon for some closing thoughts. Uh, Vera Yoon, will TVB still be around in 10 years' time? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I think, if, you know, there's some tycoon that are willing to, you know, continue, you know, just pour money into it because it has some um, political purpose. It has some their own purpose because I hold a media and then I could kind of bargain other things back. But, uh, you know, I'm seeing if it is not viable and no tycoon is willing to take that anymore, you know, maybe it has to be nationalized and merged with LTHK, you know. I'm, I'm oh, there's, that, a but... <laughs> 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 there's an interesting thought to end our discussion this morning. Maybe that would, it deserves a whole back chat of its own. Um, we'll, we'll draw it to close. Thank you for closing on that note, Barry Yoon. Uh, we'll draw, we'll draw this, uh, this, our main discussion to a close there. That was uh, Barry Yoon, Assistant Lecturer at the uh, Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, thanks all also to uh, Marcel Fernandes, who's uh, president of Fernandes Media Limited and has been with us since the beginning of the show. Uh, stay with us. The 2023 District Council Ordinary Election is coming. Let's learn more about the election's corrupt and illegal conduct ordinance enforced by the ICAC and support clean elections. Offering advantage of food, drink, or entertainment to induce electors to vote or not to vote for particular candidates in an election is illegal. Electors who solicit or accept the above will also commit the same offense. For a better community, cast your vote on December 10th. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. In the closing segment of this morning's show, we're going to be looking at a rather alarming uh, survey results from uh, a team at the uh, Chinese University of Hong Kong. Um, they actually conducted two surveys, one on uh, children and adolescents and another on um, the elderly population in Hong Kong. We're going to focus on the one on children and adolescents, which uh, found that uh, tw- 24.4, that's basically a quarter of children and adolescents experienced at least one mental health issue in the past year. Uh, the most common seeming to be attention deficit hyper- hyperactivity disorder, and one in 10 children and adolescents had clinically significant uh, sleep problems. There were also a lot lower but still alarmingly high uh, uh, rates of uh, thoughts, about, thoughts about and even plans and attempts at uh, suicide among uh, uh, secondary school uh, students. Uh, joining us uh, to uh, discuss uh, the results of the survey and tell us more about what, what is shown is uh, uh, Sandra Chan from the uh, Children and Adolescent Mental Health Team at the Department of Psychiatric, Psychiatric, Psychiatry sorry, at Chinese University of Hong Kong. Uh, good morning, Dr. Chan. Uh, welcome to Back Chat. Good morning, um, host uh, Stanley and Paul. Yeah, that's um, right. Great to have me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, these are, as I just said just now, these are rather alarming results coming out of your survey, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And thanks for recapitulating the main features. And, and in fact, yeah, it's one, one in uh, four children do have the past 12 months any form of uh, psychiatric disorder. But these are research diagnoses that we have taken through a very detailed, uh, structured clinical interview, which uh, each of which uh, takes like three hours. Um, so it was a little bit different than, than the previous surveys uh, in our locality. 
which uh, were taken from smaller samples. They were using questionnaires, and 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 also the the sampling method was less representative because this one it's a really territory wide um, random sampling. So this is the one that we uh, were commissioned by the government to really collect representative data for for our locality. Um, so yeah, you're right that we we found alarming figures, but but those figures are actually if you match it onto the global trend over the past published over the past 20 years worldwide in 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 societies that which are very similar to Hong Kong socioeconomically and on the level of industrialization, etc. Well, I, I would say that we are on on par with uh, the world trend. So what is alarming is that rather, um, I think the awareness of the problems among among the parents that we have um, taken the, the research interview uh, was um, was not surprising but very low, and that also tells us um, why the local um, service. Um, well, even though it's very notorious, but sometimes the wait list to specialist service is, is high. But I think that, that on the back end, we, we do see um, the, the demand uh, is not actually uh, prioritized by the people who should be using them. Can I just try to put it another way? I mean, and then you may disagree. Is it if children learn to speak out better, and you speak with them for three hours in a survey, uh, they will unveil a lot of their feelings and emotions and express themselves more broad, uh, in, in harsher terms than maybe they would have otherwise done in, in the past. So, is, have things really gotten worse, or are these kids more expressive, and have you given them more opportunities to express themselves? Right, so you're saying that perhaps the findings is because we give them to speak up, the chance to speak up, right? Mm. Um, but, but I think there's the research method. So we, we are in the secondary school um, group that we um, think uh, actually it's valid to, to have the, the source of information taken from the, the, the children, I mean the, the adolescents themselves, because they're intellectually competent to really grasp those um, research questions about uh, what symptoms they experienced for how long and, and how, just, uh, how were they impaired in their daily life. So we, we do seriously take, take their voice, but it's a structured clinical interview, so it's not airing. So it's basically very structured about every disorder, all the symptoms that qualify uh, for the disorder level. So uh, we, we all um, do that in a very structured, computerized algorithm. But as the surveys are done um, uh, through Zoom interview in the latter part of, of the, in the majority of this project period because of the, the COVID lockdown, um, but those are face-to-face um, video conference interviews. So um, I think, yeah, we, we do collect a data from, from adolescents that we, we think are valid. And actually, uh, when we, com- we match the information taken from secondary school um, students, parents and themselves, um, among the diagnoses that are more externalized, like ADHD, um, like the um, uh, oppositional defiant conduct disorders, um, disruptive impulse control, those things are more visible to others. So parent and, and child, they actually have very high concordance. But it, the discordance mainly comes from um, the internalizing ones, which are the emotional problems, the, the depressive ones and the anxiety disorders. Mm. Um, that was un- understandable for adolescents, that even their parents don't even know their inner distress. And, and, and many of the sleep problems in the adolescents also are reported by the adolescents and not reported by the parents. Let's uh, let me bring in an email from uh, a long-standing uh, backchat listener, Boeing, which touches on an aspect of the survey results we haven't discussed so far. Uh, Boeing says notes the the survey discloses that close to fifty percent of caregivers of children and adolescents were unwilling to seek professional support despite the presence of clinical problems. This is proof that the approach taken over the years to educate the public on mental health has been ineffective. 
there's sometimes an assumption that to be given a mental illness diagnosis is to be consigned to the rubbish heap. And if that's the case, what harm can it do if one delays finding that out? The absurdity of this logic needs to be unmasked, of course. People need to be informed about specifics like the array of treatments available and their efficacy as supported by the statistics. Um, thank you very much, uh, Bowen. Um, Dr Chan, your, your, your reaction? Um, my reaction is that I concur. Um, and actually, but I think, um, well, about, about campaigning, about education, it has to be multi-level and sustainable. And sometimes we, we reckon that we, we, we receive a lot of information about everything that's important to our lives. And, and we think we understand them. But when it comes to the point that really things happen to us, close to the loved ones that, that we care about, um, sometimes we, we, we feel that this kind of um, knowledge-based uh, uh, understanding and the actual awareness and application could be different. Say, back to our data. Um, our parents, actually, um, there are people who, in face of um, having endorsed symptoms as positive uh, throughout the, the structured clinical interview, when at the end of the interview we ask them, do you recognize any of the things that you mentioned during the interview as important, clinically significant, or things that you should worry about and bring your child to, to someone? They say no. So mm. this is, well, 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 despite the just a minute ago, they were saying, oh, I, I endorse this kind of symptom, this and that. So um, you can see that, that it's, uh, at, at a personal level, that we, we do need a lot of sustainable education. And, any, and also parents are not professionals and parents are not trained to be parents. So there's so many things that, that to be learned. I think through an education system, we have to be more engaging, proactive, and also more modernized because now people are so busy with so many things that we, we have to create platforms that are accessible and motivate them to really learn. And, and there are so many new things that they can learn alongside with the growth of their kids and, and really help um, their kids um, well, grapple with the challenges. I think parents, after all, it's the, the best um, teacher, nurturer of, of any, any, any youth. Um, so if we, we have an effective um, education that can reach parents and motivate parents to do things and actually they can help us better our care system. I mean, the professional care system are there, but somehow they're underutilized uh, to a certain extent um, for, uh, for people who really need them. Okay, so I, I, I buy this, that this, you know, this is an alarming state uh, that you have identified. To what extent has there been a worsening of the, that state? I mean, do we have research data that shows that things gotten worse over the years? Right, but the, but the worsening, uh, worsening kind of um, statement, because in our locality we haven't had a representative um, data sample before, so this is the first one. If you take it as a baseline, it's also done in a very odd period because it, we, we did it in 2019 through 2023, um, and it was oh, the so most you started the most in 2019, I mean, a period of immense turmoil in Hong Kong when a lot of people were having uh, mental problems, right? Yeah, um, and, and that that part uh, started uh, the the project, and and later on COVID lockdown, and mm -hmm. so. But but basically, we, we are saying we we are. I'm trying to say that um, we cannot say that uh, we're getting worse or whatever because we don't have a, a representative date, baseline data. But looking at the smaller scale studies more, done more than two decades ago, um, you look at the the raw figures on say prevalence of ADHD. It has risen on on a surface value. Um, but having said that, because of the methodology difference, we cannot really draw comparison between the two. But um, we, uh, as I said in the beginning of the interview, um, I think that the global trend, actually Hong Kong is uh, on par with them. And so what, what's more important is that like, the burden of problems 
um, it's not surprising that we we bear we bear same issues. We we are uh, we're facing the same issues as as most other parts of the world. But okay, the yeah. system is what we want. We want to say that we really okay. um, have a strong base, a database to really support the strengthening of the care system. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, that was very interesting indeed. That was Dr. Sandra Chan from uh, Chinese University of Hong Kong, rounding off today's uh, back chat. Um, uh, Paul, you'll be back tomorrow with Janice. So, yes, I found out. I'll be <laughs> so, back here tomorrow for a Join Paul and Janice tomorrow for um, back chat. But that's that's it for today.